Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV. Best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome everybody to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Dreesline on this Sunday, July 30th, last Sunday of July 2023. Uh, welcome. Thanks for joining the broadcast. Uh, sorry to see our twins got swept by the lowly Royals. Now just one game up on, or half a game up, I believe, on Cleveland. So unfortunate weekend for the local nine. Uh, but the good news is we are less than two weeks away from game fair. That must mean that fall hunting seasons, and not just hunting, a lot of other seasons are just around the corner. So a very exciting time of year. Uh, I'm a big wild rice guy, and I'll probably spend quite a bit of time over the next month talking about that because I will go out wild racing. That season starts on August 15th. Uh, did anybody listening try to get out to the Minnesota Zoo this weekend? The big uh, treetop trail opened uh, late this week. I actually did try to bring the family out there this morning. We thought we would uh, go right when it opened and beat the crowd, and the, the the line of cars was at least a half mile deep trying to get into the zoo. Uh, so we found another activity. We decided we'll check that out at a later time when it's not elbow to elbow. But I guess congratulations to the Minnesota Zoo. Uh, big crowds out there. Uh, looking forward to checking out that new uh, that new feature that they've got cooking uh, at that uh, at you know our our state's namesake zoo. Uh, I've got a couple uh, good guests here today. We've got uh, Tom Glines who is going to join us from uh, National Wild Turkey Federation. Tom has been around. He's kind of been Mister uh, Mister Minnesota National Wild Turkey Federation for a long time uh, here in the state. And he is uh, celebrating the, the, the NWTF's 50th anniversary in Minnesota. They had a big event last weekend down in Caledonia. And uh, so congratulations to NWTF. And uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit about that. Then bottom of the hour, very excited to have our friend Land Tawny join us. I've mentioned Land before. I mentioned last week that Land, is he's been on the show before, but he's a, a longtime friend of the outdoors and especially of public lands. He's been the CEO and president of Missoula, Montana-based backcountry hunters and anglers. BHA has a very big, very vibrant Minnesota chapter. Uh, we've uh, talked to some of the, uh, like the president, Eli Mansfield, here uh, of that chapter before. But Land told us uh, now about 10 days ago that he's going to be uh, departing BHA, that uh, he's been the leader for 10 years, and time to try something new. And we're going to drill into that a little bit with Land today here on WCCO Outdoors. I'm really excited about that. Uh, we uh, got a release from the DNR, I don't know, a few days ago that the walleye slot limit on Lake Mille Lacs, that's a, of all the slot limits in the state, that one is the most scrutinized. It's going to expand. That's a good thing. They're going to liberalize it on uh, August 1st. That's Tuesday. The slot limit for walleyes on that lake has been, uh, you could keep one between 21 and 23 inches with one longer than 28. Just one walleye. Now, of course, we've got a six walleye limit in, you know, in most state lake so uh, that's pretty restrictive you could just keep one walleye in that lake well they're going to widen that slot from 21 to 23 to 20 to 23 uh folks might say well that's not much but one inch is is important and that's really in you know that's that's a good eating size fish between 20 and 23 inches so i think that's good news uh that uh, kicks in on tuesday uh, it'll run uh what the remainder of the open water season and then uh, the DNR will, in, you know, put a put a winter regulation in place 
That season officially begins on Friday, December 1st. I'm not exactly sure what's been going on, why the DNR felt like they could uh, liberalize that slot. Uh, They alluded to the fact that the catch rates have been down. And, uh, you know, normally that's not a good thing, right? You want people catching fish, but they're saying the one reason that that is occurring is because there's a lot of perch in the lake, a lot of natural forage for walleyes, a predator fish to be eating, and therefore uh, anglers, uh, you know, they're a little less attracted to the bait on the end of an angler's hook when uh, when there's a lot of natural forage. So uh, lower, lower bottom line, lower catch rates means uh, the DNR feels like uh, anglers can take a few more fish on the big lake, and that's that's good. You know, normally midsummer we're worried about more restrictions, and so to to go the opposite direction, I think uh, is 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 a little bit of good news. Another quick date to remember: bear hunters out there, Minnesota bear hunters. If you applied for a license, um, you should have gotten a postcard from the DNR telling that whether or not you were drawn for that license, and then. Uh, or you can go to the DNR website. I, I, I know if you go to mndnr.gov, you can uh, uh, backslash hunting backslash bear. You can see whether or not you were drawn if you did not get that postcard. But you need to buy your license by Tuesday, August 1st. And then if uh, anybody didn't get drawn, they have what they call surplus licenses. Those go on sale on Friday, August 4th. So some opportunities still to go out uh, bear hunting, even if you didn't get drawn. I think most people, if they work it, they probably can pick up a surplus tag. Uh, bear baiting begins on Friday, August 11th. That's also the first day of game fair. And then the hunting season runs September 1st to October 15th. Most bears in Minnesota are taken you know, fairly early in that season probably that first week or so. It might be some folks out there saying, baiting bears? That doesn't sound real sporting. Well, I've taken a bear over bait. It's not something I necessarily am real excited to do again. It's not necessarily my kind of hunting. But to hunt bears in the great north woods where you can't see very far, that's really the most efficient way to take bears if you, if you, if you want to, if the DNR wants to manage them. Uh, out west, they have spot and stalk hunting, right, where you can see long distances. You can see bears from a long ways away, and there's, there's more of that style of hunting. But, uh, but here in Minnesota, it's, it's a, a, a baiting form of hunting. In uh, Wisconsin, of course, they, they've got the old hound hunting. They run them with dogs over there, and that's, that's a whole other topic that uh, I don't think I'm going to broach uh, yet today. So I think we're going to get in our first break of the show. We're going to be back. We're going to talk with Tom Glines from the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, they had a big uh, 50th anniversary event last weekend down in Caledonia, and Tom, uh, Tom is going to tell us all about it. I'm Rob Dreesline. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on this Sunday, July 30th, 2023. That must mean the game fair is just a couple weeks away. We will talk about that uh, maybe a little later in the broadcast. Uh, that's a big event. I will be out there both weekends hoping to uh, meet up with some of our listeners to this broadcast. We'll have Land Tawny with us in about uh, 10, 12 minutes. Land announced, uh, what, two weeks ago that he was leaving backcountry hunters and anglers, and so Land is going to join us, and we'll talk to him directly about his decision. Uh, I want to talk now about a uh, Minnesota topic, a real positive one, something I'm excited to discuss. Tom Glines, he is the Midwest Director of Development for the National Wild Turkey Federation, is joining us now. And, Tom, you guys had a, had a nice party down there in Caledonia last weekend celebrating 50 years of wild turkeys in Minnesota, huh? Well, it was an event that we'd been planning for 18 to 20 months to celebrate the success 
of the restoration of the wild turkey. And, and it's kind of interesting that the wild turkey program in Minnesota kind of mirrored the existence of the NWTF. The NWTF was formed in 1973. We got our first turkeys in 1971 in a trade with Missouri for pine marten and rough grouse. And hmm. so the restoration efforts have been going on for 50 years in Minnesota. And so it was a twofold event to celebrate 50 years of the NWTF and the restoration of the wild turkey. You know, Tom, like any species, when you're trying to reestablish it, it seems like it, you know, it kind of goes in fits and starts. And then all of a sudden they, they get some traction and the population really goes up. I know when I started the Winona Daily News in 1992, we had turkey hunting, but it was it was nowhere near as big as it is now. We weren't killing anywhere near as many birds uh, in the early 90s as we are here in 2023, and yet that was more than 20 years after those first reintroductions. We've we've really been on a good trajectory. It's been fantastic, and if you think about it, 1971 that trade was 29 turkeys. Uh, during <laughs> the weekend of our celebration, I talked to Gary Nelson. Gary Nelson used to be housed out of the Whitewater Wildlife Management area. And Mm -hmm. Gary and another gentleman named Bob Tangen were the first ever trappers. And I said, Gary, how long did it take for you to be able to start trapping turkeys in Houston County from those 29? He said the first time they, they could do it was 1977. And since 1977, they had translocated 5,200 birds across the wild turkey range in Minnesota to over 200 sites. So it's incredible that most of the turkeys in Minnesota are descendants of those original 29. Mm -hmm. From southeast Minnesota, from Houston County. Yeah, I mean, it took, what, what, five or six years there to get that population established to the point where they were able to start trap and transporting them around the state. And now we've got huntable populations in, would you say, three-quarters of the state's counties? Is it that many or a little less, somewhere in that neighborhood? That is a number that I throw out, that three-quarters of the state. There are turkeys knocking on the door of Duluth. They're up in Grand Rapids. They're in Bemidji. Of course, they're up in the Thief River Falls area because we did a research project and actually radio-collared the birds we really released up in Thief River Falls. And back in the day, I used to go to Winnipeg for banquets in Manitoba. And crossing the border one time, I was talking to a U.S. federal agent at the border, and he said, what was your business in Canada? I said, I was raising money for turkeys. And he said, oh, we got turkeys all up and down the Red River, all the way to Canada. We're chatting with Tom Glines. He's the Midwest Director of Development for the National Wild Turkey Federation. Tom, tell us about the event. It was last Saturday, uh, July 22nd in Caledonia. Uh, you had a banquet, dedicated some new cairns, some monuments uh, in, in that community. Did you raise some money for uh, for wild turkey restoration and habitat while you were at it? Well, being with the Development Department of the National Wild Turkey Federation, part of my job was to secure new pledges and cash. And uh, we raised $1.19 million in new pledges of future support of the NWTF for on the ground and also mission-related activities. So as you well know, the mission of the NWTF is the conservation of the wild turkey and the preservation of 
our hunting heritage. And hunting heritage is very important to me and our mentored program in Minnesota's first class. The Minnesota DNR loved what we did with mentoring new people to the sport of turkey hunting. Uh, we should point out, call out to Federal Ammunition uh, here in Anoka. Uh, they uh, cut a $10,000 check. There was a nice picture of that in this week's Outdoor News. J.J. Reich was down there. Uh, big supporters. All this money you're raising, can can you be a little more specific? Where does it go? Does it go into WMAs? Does it go into trap and transport programs? When folks donate money to NWTF, what, what, are, the, what are they getting for that conservation-wise? Well, at one point, like we talked about reloading, relocating those turkeys back in the day, Money did go to the trap and transplant program, which was suspended in 2009. So now we do partner with other groups like Pheasants Forever, MDHA, Ducks Unlimited to purchase lands because one of the reasons why people quit hunting, they don't have yep. a place to go. So yep. we do, we do invest in land acquisitions, habitat enhancement. And, and right now the big buzzword in other parts of the country is, is research. Well, while southeastern U.S. is declining in their turkey populations, Minnesota is still strong, and I'd almost say it's still growing because 2023, we have the second highest harvest mm-hmm. ever yep. in the state of Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, Ron Shero was down there, and he cautioned uh, folks to keep an eye on Minnesota's turkey populations and the DNR's budget for future turkey management. I appreciate Ron, you know, pausing and you know saying, "Hey, great success story. Let's keep the pressure on and make sure we keep going that direction." Yeah, we have seen turkey populations kind of declining in parts of the country. Do you have any theories on that, Tom? What uh, you know, what's going on? I've written about it in my column a couple times. It seems like it's creeping a little closer. Right? Was it is it Kansas that's uh, that's seen you know significant well, declines and some other states too? What are your thoughts, real quick? Well, sometimes I think when even when they have uh, poor hatch rates, they they keep the bag limits in a lot of those states pretty liberal. I mean, mm-hmm. Nebraska, for one, used to allow you to shoot three turkeys, and now they just cut back to two. And uh, everybody's starting to look at uh, nest raiders with uh, possums and raccoons and stuff. And I don't know that it's the, the coyotes. I don't believe it's the coyotes. But, mm-hmm. Rob, I have to say, this spring, the weather conditions for nesting for turkeys and ground nesting birds was phenomenal. It's it was dry and warm, and mm-hmm. when those poults hatch, the first thing the poults want to find are bugs. I yep. mean, they're just curious of anything hopping, crawling along the ground. Those poults are going to eat, and we had great nesting conditions this year. Good. That bodes well for uh, for spring 2024. Well, Tom, thanks for all you do uh, to promote wild turkeys in the state. I've known you a long time. You've been working at it. You are uh, definitely dedicated to this species and to good hunting. So thanks for all you do. Uh, if folks want more information, nwtf.org, that's the best place to start? Absolutely. All kinds of information on there. And if you're into Facebook, nwtf-minnesota, you can see a lot of the activities that we have going on around the state. Yeah, good. And I, I'd encourage folks to check out the news story in this week's print edition of Outdoor News. Uh, quite comprehensive. A couple pictures of Tom in there, so you can uh, see some of the things we're talking about. Mr. Glines, thanks so much for joining us on the broadcast. Uh, safe travels, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me on. Let's get in a break. We'll check in with Lan Tawney when we return. This is WCCO Outdoors. 
Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 WCCO Radio. I am Rob Dreesline here for another segment on this Sunday, July 30th, last Sunday of July 2023. I want to jump right in with my next guest this week because pretty big news on last week's show. We talked about the change cooking out at Missoula, Montana-based backcountry hunters and anglers. Lan Tawney, the longtime CEO and president of that fine organization, announced that he's uh, he's going to be leaving the group. And uh, we talked about that a little bit on last week's show. But we're going to talk to Land directly here right now. He has been um, considered enough, and I appreciate to join us here on the broadcast to talk. Land, it's very good to see you, and I dare say you already look a little more relaxed. <laughs> yeah, you know, getting on the river does that for you. But, uh, Rob, thanks for having me back, and it's great to be here. Uh, it came as a bit of a shock, Land. I don't think that's a surprise, you know. And and what kind of jumped into my mind was how you know Howard Vincent, another leader of a really important conservation group in this country, a, a close friend of both you and I. You know, he announced last year he was leaving, and there was a long, long runway for that to transpire. Uh, this came down as like you know, you said I'm I'm going to be leaving at the end of July. Can you tell us a little bit of the background? What happened here? Was this a long time coming in negotiations with your board? Or was this just kind of like you just decided I, I need to move on? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a mutual decision between the North American board and I. I think, you know, while I'm going to be done the end of July, you know, I'll be continuing to work with the organization as we go look for a new CEO. Okay. Uh, once we do get a new CEO, you know, I'll spend an entire week with them and not to like show them where the files are or, uh, you know, like I will be talking more to them about philosophy. And I think just like introducing them to people that I know as well um, in the organization. So it's, I've got mixed emotions around this. And I think, you know, we talked earlier, like change is an important thing. And for me personally, you know, I've throughout my career, I've grown things. Um, I've been part of a lot of campaigns and at BHA, there was like campaign after campaign after campaign that I just am so thankful that I got to be aware, you know, a part of. But as a CEO, you start doing less of that stuff. And and I think that's part of what's going on, uh, at least for my mentality, is like really trying to get back and get my hands dirty a little bit more um, and focusing on, you know, whatever that campaign is. And then I traveled a lot with this with this job. I've traveled a lot for 10 years and my kids now are 15 and 12. You know, not little anymore, but that means that I also only have so much time left with them, uh, at least, you know, where they're living in the house. And so I, I'm very conscious of that. And then the short term, we're going to be spending a lot of time with them. And then in the long term, you know, we'll figure out what happens next. I hope you don't mind me saying this. We talked about it a little off air, but I talked to you during the COVID era a little bit when before that you had been traveling like an absolute madman. And when COVID came along, you weren't traveling as much. You were actually spending a lot of time with your family. And I got to think that impacted you and the decision you're making now. Absolutely. And, you know, and I feel even bad about saying it because I know people lost their lives during COVID. People lost jobs during COVID. And so what was me that I didn't travel anymore, but it did recenter me. And I think that you know, I said this to you earlier and I'm fine saying it again is that I think that work was a major priority for me and maybe not even 50-50 with my family. And then COVID hit. I had this reconnection that maybe that isn't the best word because I, I feel like I'm pretty good dad, but I think I just got to spend more time with my family and that priority kind of shifted a little bit. And, um, you know, I'm thankful for that in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't wait to spend more time with both my kids and my wife, you know, on public lands and on public waters. Your travel schedule was amazing. And I think it's one of the reasons that the organization grew as quickly as it did. And you were as effective as you have been as a leader. But just to give listeners a little bit of sense, I mean, were you on the road 
two weeks out of the month or more. It sure seemed like you were crisscrossing the country all the time. Yeah, I mean, I kind of depended on the month that ebbed and flowed, but I mean, there'd be times I'd be gone three or four, you know, times, uh, three or four trips in a month. And yeah. so, you know, when you're working with volunteers, which is absolutely amazing, like I think we have some of the best volunteers in the entire country and the entire space, you know, a lot of that's on weekends because that's the time that they have. And so that is time that, you know, you're missing at home in particular. And so, yeah, the travel schedule, you know, I, the first quarter of this year, I traveled eight times in the first quarter and uh, not quite as much as I was before, but, you know, it was starting to ramp up again and I could feel that. Lynn, I want to ask you kind of a personal question, something I think about a lot. I mean, one of my favorite quotes from you is conservation is a blood sport. Uh, I feel that sometimes in my role, you stick your neck out for conservation and there's people more than willing to take a whack at it. Did that grind get to you? Uh, did Did that play a role? Are you looking forward to maybe taking a step back and not being quite as out front as you have been the past decade? It's a great question. I, you know, one of my mentors, Jim Posowitz, uh, wrote his last opinion editorial uh, when he was 79 years old, uh, two weeks before he died. And it was about a mine uh, here in Montana uh, that was going to impact the Smith River. And he was always a fighter and always, you know, kind of in that space. And so it comes with the territory is what I'm trying to say, is if you're going to mm-hmm. stick your neck out there, like you said, like you better expect that, you know, there's going to be some negative feedback for that. I also got a lot of positive feedback, though, for that, too, Rob. And so I think that over the years, was that frustrating? Absolutely. But I think I got used to it. And that doesn't necessarily soften some of the things that have been said or done. But it also, you know, makes you realize that you're doing something right. I think my mom uh, told me one time, she said, you know, if, if you got somebody over on the left and somebody on the right that are yelling at you, you're probably doing what's right, right in the middle. And so... Yeah. You know, who knows what role I'll have uh, going forward, but I'll continue to stand up and speak for the wild places and the wild things that do not have a voice each and every time, I would say, and not be afraid of like what that backlash looks like. Very well put. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors with Rob Driesline. We are chatting with our friend Lan Tawney, the departing CEO and president from Missoula, Montana-based Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. BHA is one of the largest and fastest growing outdoor organizations in the country, and it's got a real strong Minnesota chapter. Land, looking back at the past decade, there have been a lot of great accomplishments. Anything you're most proud of that you'd like to uh, mention? Yeah, thank you. I think like the policy wins are just absolutely amazing. And, you know, that comes with, like, I just pride, you know, our organization. It's not me with those policy wins, but it's like the people that make those things happen. And I think that one of the ones I'm most proud of is I think is when Congressman Chaffetz was going to sell 3 million acres of public lands in the West. And I remember that this yeah. is, we were a pretty young organization and we said no and, uh, and it created a firestorm and he ended up having to pull, you know, that legislation down a week later. And I had never seen that in my time working out in DC. Uh, I've never seen it since. And, um, and so that was a big deal. And so I was a watershed moment. I would say, you know, the, Passage of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. I mean, come on, you know, like like nine hundred million dollars in perpetuity for access and conservation in this country. And you know, I I worked on that my entire career. And the last month before that was passed, you know, six thousand members of BHA made phone calls out to Congress, and that just shows, I think, the power of that grassroots, and also that these things take time. Lately, the corner crossing issue, you know, that our chapter has been engaged in down in Wyoming, um, not only from a legal standpoint, but also from a legislative standpoint, boundary waters, you know, after I went in there my first time uh, in the winter to give supplies to Amy and Dave Freeman when they were staying a year there. And we went in on dogs or with dogs on, on dog sleds. And that 
was my first experience. And then I had another time in the fall when the colors were absolutely perfect and there was no bugs and we hunted grouse. And then I went there with my family uh, a couple summers ago and uh, we caught fish and um, had some otters come by, but like that it's, it's temporary. It's 20 years, but to get that protection of the watershed, you know, it's the only time I actually testified in Congress was for that bill. Wow. And I, it's just mm-hmm. that place. There's a lot of places that have a special heart uh, or a special place in my heart, but the boundary waters in particular, and that when, while we need to do more to get permanent protection, uh, that stay was pretty amazing. So I end though, Rob, and kind of the way I started a little bit is that, but I'm more proud about the movement that we all created together and gave people a home that didn't necessarily think they had a home other places. And and really creating that next generation of conservation leaders, which I think we've absolutely done, that's going to be like when I'm sitting around on the porch, you know, when I'm 80 years old or whatever, if I make it that far, that's what I'm going to be most proud of, you know, creating a home for people uh, to get involved in conservation. Is that movement bigger than Lantani? You really have been the face of this organization. You've been the Pied Piper of, of public lands for a decade. You've been our leader. I mean, I've been at these pint nights where you stand up. And I mean, people, they think so highly of you. They, I don't want to go overboard here, but is, is there someone to fill that void? Will that will this movement continue without you as its, as its leader, Land? Absolutely. I think that's the solace I take in stepping down is people like Aaron Haybison, it's people like Eli Mansfield in Minnesota. It's people like James Brandenburg in Arkansas. It's like Michael Woods over in Rhode Island. I mean, I just, the list goes on. And I think that that was something that we wanted to do again in the philosophically was create opportunities for people to lead. And I think that, you know, a lot of people like, oh, you have to do your time. And like, you know, you'll get your chance at some point. And we fast forward to that. And so, you know, I, I really have a ton of confidence in the volunteers. I have a ton of confidence in the staff. Whoever they choose as the new CEO, you know, it's going to be different. It will always be different. But I think the heart of this organization will be carried forward. And it is way, way bigger than Lantani. And, um, and it's the people that make that happen. Can you briefly describe the succession plan going forward? You're going to wrap up here at the end of the month. Will you be involved in that succession planning? Yeah, and I think that I will, and thank you. So I'll be done at the end of the month, but I'll you know be around uh, to have, provide feedback until the new CEO comes on. When that new CEO comes on, I will spend a week with them, really to talk to them about kind of you know, what BHA is, introduce them to people that they need to be talking to, and in particular funders, uh, and so that, you know, there isn't, like this transition goes as smooth as possible. Can you give us a hint? What's in the future for Lantani? I mean, with your public policy background, you could probably go into a completely different industry and make a ton of money. Do you think you're going to stay in the outdoor space in some way, shape, or form? Any ideas? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. So I've got a couple irons in the fire right now. I'll tell you about one here in a second, but I'm not going to jump in anything fast. And, you know, I've hired a lot of people over the last 10 years. And when I I hire them, I always tell them, you only get so many transitions in your life. This is my only third job professionally. And I've been, you know, each one of my jobs before a very long time. And so, like, taking that time and that transition to just kind of, like, get your head straight, that's what I'm going to focus on first. Um, So I'm not going to jump in anything any quick. Bison restoration still is like, I mean, it's got me fired up. And like, yeah, I can I tell you guys last time got, you and I talked. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, that, you know, there's been some movement in Minnesota, you know, there's work in Wyoming, there's stuff in Montana, there's stuff down in New Mexico, stuff in Nebraska. So that could potentially be something that I do. But um, again, I'm not going to jump into anything. And 
you know, I'm a life member of BHA. Both my kids are life members of BHA. I'm not necessarily going anywhere. I don't want to, you know, be a overshadow anything uh, sure. as this transition happens. But, you know, I deeply care about the work uh, that we've all been engaged in for 10 years and, and that won't stop. Well, Land, I'm out of time here, but uh, a lot of social media chatter and, and a common theme I'm seeing on some of those posts is that Land has earned a little R&R uh, with his family. So I don't think anyone is arguing with you know how hard you've worked and the fact that you've earned some time with your family, who you were telling me off air is, is really excited uh, to be spending more time with you. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, actually got out on the river yesterday and on the Blackfoot and... Uh, wash my face with cold, clean water, and then put some fish in the hands. And that was very cleansing, I would say. And uh, then got out this morning and picked huckleberries for my uh, daughter's pancakes for her birthday. Awesome. Uh, and so I'm going to be spending, you know, it might be just, you know, an hour here picking huckleberries. It might be half a day on the river. Uh, lots of trips with the kids. It's a beautiful time to be alive. Uh, there's so many opportunities here in Montana and elsewhere, and I'm going to be exploring those. Well, land my final uh point that I would like to make is thank you for being such an unapologetic conservationist. It seems like there's a lot of folks out there that, yeah, I'm a conservationist, but they hedge on on the, the extremes, whatever they might be on the hunting extreme on one side, but on the environmental extreme on the other. You have said, this is who I am. This is who we are. And we're not going to apologize for it. You've done a bang up job representing us. Thank you so much. Rob, uh, <laughs> means a lot to me for you to say that. And, uh, it's uh, it's been a super pleasure, and I mean, working with folks like you, and again, that doesn't stop necessarily. But I think we are lucky to have this legacy that was passed to us, and it's just you know our jobs to pass it on to the next generation. And you know, I'd put that thank you right back to you. You know, you provide platforms for people to tell those stories and to talk about these issues, and none of this happened by accident, and it's right. not going to be carried forward by accident either. And um, I've just been proud to you know for this chapter of it, it's been uh, just a it's a pure joy and pleasure for me. Looking forward to seeing you at a future rendezvous or a pine night. You and I and Norquest, the other Gen X crews, can sit back in, uh, in the back and enjoy a pint and let these young guys uh, take some leadership, a little stronger leadership role. Thanks again, yep. Land. Yep. Absolutely. And looking forward to seeing you soon. Our friend Land Tawny, the departing CEO and president of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Don't go away. More of the broadcast after these messages. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline. Final segment of this week's broadcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to my two great guests, uh, Land Tawny and Tom Glines. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm hearing a lot of positive Boundary Waters reports on uh, social media. Some of my friends uh, that have been up there, I have not gotten up there myself this year, uh, just working too hard. Uh, but uh, my son was up there last weekend uh, with his girlfriend uh, trying to see if uh, if uh, camping and if, if outdoor activities was something that interests her, see if she's the one. Uh, I guess she did. She came through with flying colors. She uh, she seemed to enjoy it. We talked to them both afterwards, and they had a really good time. A little bit of haze one day. They went in on the uh, end of the gun flint, uh, all the way on the end. Uh, I, won't, I won't mention the specific entry point, but they were on a big sag, big saginaw, uh, at least one day. Uh, some haze on the day they went in, uh, but they said mosquitoes were average or maybe even a little below average, um, that, that meaning good, uh, that there weren't as many. Uh, and my son's got a lot of Boundary Waters experience, so I trust him when he said uh, they were not too bad. Uh, he said a very solid blueberry year cooking up there. Lots of times I'd like to go into the Boundary Waters like in mid-August, folks. I've always thought that's a really good time. The days are getting shorter, which means uh, the nights are longer, which 
often means the temperatures are a little cooler. You get into mid to late August, it's surprising. Sometimes you get some overnight temps that help kill the uh, mosquitoes. So I, I, if you haven't been to the Boundary Waters yet this summer, I think mid to late August is a, is a great time to do that. Uh, one of the uh, the down points uh, about going to the Boundary Waters then, however, is that the blueberries are already done. You know, you'll, you'll find a few bushes here and there with you know maybe one or two and uh, you could see where the bears or whatever else have torn up the uh, the blueberry beds, and they've already uh, eaten most of them. But my my son got into them pretty pretty good last weekend, and overall just said uh, uh, had a, had a really good experience uh, up there in uh, in the B Dub. Uh, I am also oh, you know what I said he saw a lot of rough grouse, and uh, we talked uh, with the DNR last week about that about how there are some positive uh, rough grouse uh, the drumming counts this past uh, spring now the DNR making it very clear that that doesn't automatically translate into great uh, rough grouse hunting uh, in the fall a lot of things can happen right you can have predation you can have I don't know fires you could have uh, West Nile virus uh, potentially wipe out some birds generally speaking though folks when you get good sp- spring drumming counts, you're going to get good hunting. Uh, again, oddly, Wisconsin, really down. I, I saw we we had a brief on that uh, this past week in Outdoor News. I think I mentioned it last week here that uh, even though it's up here, down in Wisconsin, I think all the, the snow we had probably played a role uh, because, as I mentioned last week, grouse like deep snow. It provides cover for uh, predators, and it also is, they'll just burrow right into the snow, and it provides some thermal cover, too. So lots of snow, good for grouse, might be one reason they're up here. Uh, like I said, my son saw a lot. I, I just randomly, a guy at the gym this morning, <laughs> he's like, Rob, you wouldn't believe all the grouse I'm I'm seeing around my uh, my property up north. So, uh, again, I hope that holds because uh, rough grouse hunting, uh, one of the best uh, upland bird hunting opportunities we've got in this part of the of the country. No kidding. I mean, folks from out east come to Minnesota to hunt grouse because uh, the so-called so-called partridge hunting out east is nowhere near as good as it used to be, uh, and so there's there's a you know grouse hunting culture in in upland bird hunting culture in a good chunk of the country, and they don't have as good a hunting as they used to. So a lot of people come to Minnesota where it's good. I got a feeling a lot of folks are going to be doing that again this year. I know a guy in North Carolina who comes up here to to uh, to go grouse hunting. Uh, he's speaking of upland birds. We found out the governor's pheasant hunting opener is set for Owatonna. Uh, governor Tim Walls is going to, uh, th- this is, uh, how long has the governor's pheasant opener been around? 20 years, something like that? October 13th and 14th, uh, it's going to showcase the Owatonna area. So I'm glad to see Steele County is going to be front and center for that event, and I'm glad uh, overall to see that that event is uh, is still going forward. Uh, my friend uh, Melissa Bachman, uh, we've had her on the broadcast before, uh, Huntress, white-tailed deer hunter extraordinaire, uh, originally from Minnesota. I believe she lives in uh, South Dakota now, but she's visiting a bunch of fleet farm stores this coming week doing seminars. Uh, you can see that complete schedule on her website or in Outdoor News. We had that schedule also, and uh, don't miss it. Uh, if you want to get some insight on summer scouting, uh, I would definitely check that out. Melissa, one of the hardest working people in the business of the outdoors. There's a lot I didn't get to. I thought Dennis Anderson had a great story uh, this past Friday talking about hot water. Uh, we're talking about water temperatures being so high. Uh, it's a big topic on the coasts, uh, but it's also we got a lot of warm lakes here. And what does that mean for catch and release? Uh, when you're you're catching fish and releasing them, you like to think they swim away and live happily ever after to be caught again, uh, but not always the case, and uh, especially especially worrisome with muskies. 
Uh, they get stressed. And as we've talked about, a lot of people are catching muskies these days thanks to, thanks to this uh, forward-facing sonar. I'm seeing a lot of reader shots coming into my shop uh, of people that probably, you know, never really had much of a shot at catching the fish of 10,000 casts that all of a sudden everybody's catching them, I think, because of forward-facing sonar. That's putting more pressure on those fish. And what does all that warm? What, what does that mean, especially when we're dealing with you know super warm water temperatures? That that tends to stress fish out more and more. You get what they call hooking mortality. Well, thank you again to my guests. Thank you to Jonathan Lowe uh, keeping me uh, going here, and thanks to all the listeners who joined us for the past hour. Everybody have a great week out of doors. Rob Dreesline signing off for WCCO Outdoors.